So are we building a church that works for people of every nation, tribe, people group, and language? Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Hey everybody, good morning. Welcome to Plainfield Christian Church. My name is Riley. I'm one of the ministers here on staff. It's really great to be with you today. I heard some whispering out in the audience when I got up here, and I think I know what you're all thinking. He has really nice shoes. Uh, No, I know what you're really thinking. What is he wearing? A couple weeks ago, I got back from a mission trip to Ghana. I picked this up while I was there. And before I dive into the sermon today, I wanna tell you a little bit about my trip. The way I see it, Luke, uh, he went to Israel earlier this year and he talked about his trip to Israel for three months. So surely I can talk about my trip uh, to Ghana for three minutes. And you can tell Luke I said that. Uh, I had a great trip to Ghana. So many different things happened. The main reason that I went was uh, to be a part of a dedication for part of a medical clinic. Over the last couple of years, our church has been partnering two different ministries, Fame and Ghana Christian Mission, to build an addition to a medical clinic in rural Ghana. While we were there, we also took the opportunity to just tour Ghana and see some of the other things that Ghana Christian Mission is doing in that country. I've got a map of my trip here. So we started in the northwest corner of the country, and over about eight days, we drove down to the southeast corner of the country. It was during the rainy season, so some of the roads were washed out. It was an adventure, but it was a really great experience. I'd love to tell you every detail of my trip. I mean, it really was amazing to see what God is doing, but I don't have time, so I just wanna share a few highlights with you. The first is obviously the dedication of the medical clinic. The medical clinic that we helped build is in a village in Ghana called Kumdi. And Ghana Christian Mission has seven clinics across the country, but their Kumdi clinic is their busiest. Each month, this clinic treats around 1,400 patients and delivers around 30 babies. They do all of this with only 16 staff and very few resources by American standards. And part of the reason that this uh, staff housing project that we contributed to was so important was because since they're in a rural area, it's difficult for them to find safe, affordable housing that's close to the clinic. So the building that you saw earlier, the picture, that was of the new staff housing uh, that our church contributed to and that we were there to dedicate. What that's gonna do is give the staff at the Coombe Clinic a, a safe place to live, but they're also gonna be right next to the clinic so that they can respond to the emergencies. The dedication itself was a really cool event. There was some singing, traditional dancing. Uh, That's where I picked this up. Some of the chiefs were there and they gave me this as a thank you for coming and being a part of the dedication. This is called a fugu. It's uh, the traditional dress for men in Northern Ghana. Around 300 people were there at the dedication. It was a really special day. And uh, overall, the people in Kumdi were really honored to have such a nice building in their area. And obviously the staff that's gonna live in that facility was just really, really thankful to have a nice place to live. Okay, second highlight is I got to visit a man named John Pumigba. This is John's picture here, him and his family. John is also one of our church partners. John is a church planner with Ghana Christian Mission, and for the last nine years, he's been on the field. In that time, he has planted nine churches and baptized over 300 people. So he's a very effective church planter. I've been able to meet John on previous trips to Ghana, but I had never actually been able to visit his church. So I got to worship with his church on one Sunday. I'm the guy in the middle, if you can't tell. Uh, Thank you. I thought that was funny too. The last group didn't think that was funny for some reason. Um, 
it was great to worship with them and just uh, get to know one of John's churches and be with them for the day. Another thing that our church did last year is we gave a special gift to his wife, Justine, to help her open a business. It's the next picture here. The idea behind this business is if it does well, it's gonna bless their family financially and it's also gonna give them more connecting points in the community for evangelism. So please pray for Justine's business to be successful because it's gonna bless their family and their ministry. The final thing that I got to do while I was in Ghana was visit Richard and Tim. Many of you know Richard. He's one of our church's former partners and he was also the the missionary at Camp Allendale this summer. So if you don't know him, your kids probably do. Richard is a great friend to our church, so there's just no way that I can go to Ghana without seeing him. What I want you to know is that I was really impressed with everything that I saw in Ghana. Ghana Christian Mission really is doing great things. And the other thing that I want you to know is that our partnership with Ghana Christian Mission, the Kumdi Clinic, and John Pumegba are only possible because of your giving to Plainfield Christian Church. So thank you so much for your generosity. You are literally changing and saving the lives of people around the world. Now that that's out of the way, I wanna dive into the sermon. Can we do that? Uh, For the last several weeks, we have been working through the book of Nehemiah. This is a book in the Bible and it's a relatively simple story. It starts off with a man named Nehemiah and he's living in Persia. And Nehemiah hears that the walls of Jerusalem, the home city of his people, the Jewish people, have been destroyed. And after years, they lay in ruins. Well, Nehemiah loves his people and he loves his city. So he's really upset when he hears this. So what does he do? He goes to God and he prays for an answer. Well, God provides him with an answer. Nehemiah was actually a servant of the Persian king Artaxerxes. And God had given Nehemiah favor with the king and the king allowed him to return home to Jerusalem to serve as governor, to specifically oversee the real building of the wall. So that's the background for our story today. Today, we're gonna be in Nehemiah chapter five and I'm gonna start reading in verse one. The words are gonna be up here on the screen. Nehemiah said, now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, Yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Last week, Morgan preached a great sermon on Nehemiah chapter four. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go listen to it. In Nehemiah chapter four, they deal with outside problems. Some of the tribes around Jerusalem are trying to stop the work on the wall. But in Nehemiah five, it's different. All the problems are coming from within Jerusalem. The basic problem is this, there's a food shortage. A couple different things happen. The first is that people were so busy rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem that they didn't have time to tend their fields and grow food. So they just didn't have enough for their families. On top of that, there was also a famine. So it must've been a difficult year to grow food and there wasn't much left to go around. And I'm sure that any that was left was very, very expensive to buy because there wasn't much supply. On top of this, to make matters worse, there were some people who also, everybody actually had to pay their taxes to the king of Persia. So in our culture, uh, we get some benefits from our taxes. I'm sure that nobody really likes paying taxes. Can I get an amen? 
Thank you, yeah. Uh, nobody really likes paying taxes, but in our culture, we at least get some benefits from our taxes, like paved roads. In Persian culture, that was not the case. You sent your taxes to the king and he got to decide what to do with them. And the only benefit you got was a promise that he wouldn't send his armies to come and destroy you. So all this together, not being able to grow food, the famine, the king's tax, people were having to mortgage their homes, their fields and their vineyards just to stay alive. They were jeopardizing their futures in order to survive day to day. And the story also tells us that some parents were so desperate that they were selling their children into slavery. We know that's something that only the most desperate parent would do. So Nehemiah is doing something great. He's rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. This is good for his people. This is good for God. But unfortunately, he's got a problem. This project is great, but it's just not working for everyone. And Plainfield Christian Church, this is a lesson that we really need to pay attention to. You may or may not know this, but Plainfield Christian Church is 189 years old. Our church has a lot of history. But even though we've got a lot of history, we are still building something here. And as we build this church, we have got to build a church that works for everyone. I truly believe that the greatest threats to Plainfield Christian Church are not from with outside our church. I truly believe that the greatest threats to Plainfield Christian Church come from within this church. Yes, politics are crazy. Yes, our culture is changing. But if our church ceases to be a welcoming place for all people, then we've already lost. We simply will not be able to fulfill our mission. So like Nehemiah, we need to make sure that our church works for people of every economic class. The U.S. Census Bureau estimates that 5.2% of Hendricks County lives below the poverty line. But there's a local nonprofit called Family Promise of Hendricks County that actually estimates that 27% of our neighbors struggle to meet their basic needs like food, shelter, transportation, childcare. And they also believe that post-pandemic, these numbers are on the rise. So are we building a church that is welcoming and accessible for people of every economic class? And there's some other groups we need to think about too. Are we building a church that works for people of every ethnic background? Last month, I got to go to a meeting in the town of Avon called the Avon Religious Leaders Meeting. And there, there were some people from the schools that shared some surprising facts. They said that 12% of Avon students now belong to multilingual families. So they don't speak English in their homes. Behind English, the top three languages spoken by students in Avon schools are Spanish, Yoruba, which is a language from Nigeria, and then Punjabi, which is a language spoken in India and Pakistan. 12% of their students belong to multilingual families. And I also wanna say, there are people that speak all three of those languages that go to our church. In Revelation, in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, it says that one day people from every nation, tribe, people, group, and language will worship God together in heaven. We know that every reality in heaven also needs to be a reality in our church. So are we building a church that works for people of every nation, tribe, people, group, and language? Another thing that we need to think about is generational diversity. One of the things that I love about Plainfield Christian Church is that we've got people from every generation here. We've got people from the greatest generation. We've got baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials like me, people from Gen Z, and then whatever comes behind them. I don't know if they've named that one yet. As far as I know, the oldest member of our church is 106 years old. And we have got to make sure that our church works for that person, my son who's down in the nursery, and everyone in between. 
I'm not standing up here today because I have the answers to all these things. These are really, really big issues. But what I do know is that God is the master builder. He is building a spiritual house here and he is gonna teach us how to build his house. So as we walk through Nehemiah chapter five today, I'm gonna share several biblical principles that I believe we can use to build a church that works for everyone. And I'm gonna apply these principles to our church, but I also believe that you can apply them to any area of your life that you have influence, whether that be your work, your school, your team, your family even. So let's jump back in Nehemiah chapter five. I'm gonna read verse six, and then we're gonna pause after that. This is how Nehemiah responds to the poverty in Jerusalem. Nehemiah said, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. So when Nehemiah heard that the people of Jerusalem were suffering, he was mad. And this wasn't a sinful anger. This was a righteous anger. Nehemiah loved his people, so he was upset. And that actually brings us to our first principle for the day. As we seek to build a church that works for everyone, we need to have empathy. These blocks are way heavier than I thought too, by the way. (laughs) Empathy is the ability to understand what somebody else is going through. And it's really important for us as we try to help people because we've got to understand the needs of other people. As we talk about helping other people, one of the things that I have to talk about is, you know, we live in a really nice community in Hendricks County. There's a lot of great things to do here. It's a pretty nice community. And, you know, with that, there's people here with a lot of wealth. There's very privileged people in our community. And those of us who have that privilege, sometimes I think it's really hard for us to understand what some people struggle with on a day-to-day basis, below the surface. There are people in our community, single moms, who, because of bad credit and bad rental history, they cannot find an affordable place to live. There are refugees in our community who didn't want to leave their homeland, but because of conflict and persecution, they had to come here, and they started with nothing. There are seniors in our community who, for one reason or another, just weren't able to save enough for retirement, and now they're struggling to make ends meet. And there are more than just economic difficulties in our community, everything that you can imagine. There are people that struggle with marital issues. There are people that struggle with addictions. There are people that struggle with loneliness. It's all here. We just might not always be able to see it. So that's why building a church that that works for everyone starts with empathy. We need to understand the needs of the people in our community and in our church. That's gonna help us build a church that works for everyone. Let's jump back into Nehemiah 5. I'm gonna continue reading in verse 7. Nehemiah is going to further explain how he wants to respond to poverty in Jerusalem. Nehemiah said, I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. 
Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. I've wanted to do this all day. This is what it looked like to shake out his robes, okay? <laughs> I've wanted to do that all morning. I just haven't been brave enough to do it. You know, I've got a lot of flack for wearing this today. I've been called Lord Farquaad. Um, <laughs> been told this looks like a little girl's skirt. So I think it's cool. <laughs> So here's part of the problem that Nehemiah was dealing with. The people in Jerusalem are struggling and part of the issue is the wealthy people in Jerusalem were loaning them money and also charging them interest. To us, this may not sound like that big of a deal. And that's because in our culture, interest is just a part of our financial system. For example, most of us have to go out and get a mortgage if we wanna buy a home. But in Nehemiah's day, that was a huge deal. And that's why Nehemiah gets so angry here. And the reason he gets so angry is because God forbid the Jewish people to charge other Jews interest. Here's an example from Exodus 22, 25 through 27. This is what God said to the Jewish people. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. God wanted the Jews to loan money to each other, to help each other, not to make money from each other. But that's not what the Jewish nobles in Jerusalem at that time were doing. So this brings us to our second principle for the day. As we build a church that works for everyone, we need to have generosity. Simply put, we just need to be willing to help people. And I also want to acknowledge, I know that this is really uh, not symmetrical, so forgive me for that. <laughs> One of the guys in the last service told me that he wanted to go up there and fix it for me. But uh, that's just the way it's going to work today. <laughs> so Christ has freed us from the law of the Old Testament. That means what we just read in Exodus 22, that doesn't apply to us. So if you're in real estate or if you're a banker, don't worry, you can continue to charge interest. But that being said, we still need to think about what it means to be generous as followers of Christ. I wanna share a few things that Jesus said about generosity with you. This is from Matthew 5, 42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Luke 12, 33 and 34. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And finally, Luke 14, 12 through 14. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Those are the words of Jesus. So we've read about how the Jewish nobles were taking advantage of people. We've read what God told the Jewish people in the Old Testament. We've read some of Jesus' words about generosity. Well, how do we make sense of all this? I would never accuse anybody in this room of wanting to make money off of needy people. 
But as we give to the needy, I think we need to think about what it means to have a business mindset. There have been times in my life where I've been asked to give money to people, or there have been other times where I've seen other people been asked to give, and sometimes questions like this pop up. Questions like, well, does that person really deserve this money? Or, well, is that person gonna use this money wisely? When we ask questions like that, we're getting dangerously close to prioritizing our investment of money over the person that needs to help. Now, as I say this, I also wanna acknowledge a tension here. There's a big tension between giving generously and giving wisely. So I wanna share my personal conviction with you. You're gonna have to develop your own philosophy of generosity through prayer and study and experience. This is my personal conviction. I also wanna say this is not the policy of Plainfield Christian Church. I believe that as much as possible, we need to err on the side of generosity. And that's because of what Jesus said to us. He said, give to the one who asks. So for me, I try to give to the one who asks unless it could cause them to sin. That's just where I land on this issue. Wherever you land on this issue, let's be a generous church. Let's be a people that are willing to help those who are in need. We're gonna jump back into Nehemiah 5 and I'm gonna continue reading in verse 14. Nehemiah said, moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. Sounds like a pretty good dinner. And he also said, every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. So Nehemiah starts this chapter off by talking about poverty in Jerusalem and what he did to address that issue. As we go into the second half of the chapter, he shifts and he starts to just reflect on other ways that he tried to help the people in Jerusalem. As the governor, Nehemiah had certain rights. He could have collected food to feed all of his men and the other people he would have had to entertain. He also could have collected his own taxes and he certainly could have used his influence to gain other wealth and acquire land and do different things like that to enrich himself. But he didn't do that. As far as we know, Nehemiah paid for a lot of that stuff himself. And that's just because he didn't want to burden the people of Jerusalem anymore. And that leads us to our next principle. As we build a church that works for everyone, we need to be prepared to sacrifice our needs for the needs of others. When we talk about helping people, we normally talk about money. And I think that's really important. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And, you know, some of us need to trust God with our money and be more generous. But one of the things that I want to acknowledge again is that we live in a really nice community. And there's a lot of people in our community with a pretty high level of wealth. And because of that, it may not be difficult for some of us to give. 
So I think we also need to talk about different types of generosity. One of the things that I think it is hardest for people like us to sacrifice is our time. And that's because we are so busy. We've got family commitments, we've got work, we've got hobbies. Sometimes it's just hard to fit anything else in. But I truly believe that some people could benefit more from a sacrifice of our time than a gift of money. You could give someone money or you can mentor them in managing their finances. You could give someone a bag of food or you could take them out to dinner and have a conversation with them. You could pray for someone or you could offer to visit them and encourage them. Relationships change lives. So I truly believe that your sacrifice of time could change someone's life. Many of you know that we have a group of Congolese refugees that worship here on Sunday afternoons. We call this our Congolese service. We love this group. Earlier this year, they put on a pretty cool event. They hosted a revival and they invited all the people from their tribe that live around Indianapolis to attend. I think there was a couple hundred people there that day. And it was a great day, but it was a long day. There was probably 10 hours of worship and preaching that Saturday. And I was there for all of it. I loved it, but it was definitely a long day. The next day I came to church, I went to the Congolese service and uh, the guest speaker for the weekend, his name was Pastor Richard. And Pastor Richard, he got up on this stage and before he began to preach, he looked at me and he said, Pastor, I love you. And I was like, where is he going with this? I did not expect that. (laughs) The next thing he said was, time is the most important thing to Americans. We know that you love us because you gave us your time. Don't, don't clap for me, don't clap for me. Plainfield Christian Church, I don't wanna be a church that just gives away a lot of money. You are a super generous church. I mean, all the pictures that I showed you in Ghana earlier, that is all possible because of you. But I don't just wanna be the church that gives away a lot of money. I want the church, you guys, to give away your time to people who really, really need it. Before I move on today, I actually wanna tell you about a way that you could sacrifice your time to help some people that really need it. Each year, our church puts on something called Plainfield's Free Thanksgiving Dinner. It's an entirely volunteer-led event. It is awesome. If you've done it before, you know what I'm talking about. Last year, people from our church packed, or sorry, um, 184 volunteers from our church served around 2,000 Thanksgiving meals to members of our community. And we're gonna do the event this year. Every year, there are people who come to the event who can't afford a traditional Thanksgiving dinner. There are also some people who come who you know, just don't have anybody to celebrate with and they don't wanna be alone on the holidays. This year, we're gonna need a lot of help too. We're gonna need people who wanna cook, who wanna bake, carve turkeys, package meals, deliver meals, clean the kitchen, really anything that you can imagine. This would be a great way for you to sacrifice your time to help people who really, really need it. If you'd like to learn more about this event, you can go to plainfieldchristian.com slash make a difference. And I also want you to know that volunteer registration is gonna begin very soon. We've only got one verse left in Nehemiah chapter five. That's verse 19. I'd like to read it for you. This is where we'll stop today. This is what Nehemiah said. Remember me with favor, my God, for all that I have done for these people. And this brings us to our last principle, focus. And I would say this is actually the most important principle of all the principles on these walls. Without focus, we can't do these other things. Throughout this chapter, Nehemiah has talked about all the different things he did to help the people of Jerusalem. But he ends by talking about this, focus. 
Nehemiah knew why he was doing what he was doing. Everything he did was because of his passion and love for God. And church, as we help people in our community and around the world, wherever they are, we need to remember why we're doing what we're doing. We don't wanna help people because we're woke or progressive. We don't wanna help people because our church is gonna grow, even though that would be great. At the end of the day, we wanna help people because we love God and God loves all people. And we want all the people that God loves to feel like they belong in our church. You know, Jesus is really our ultimate example in all of this too. All of these things up here, empathy, generosity, sacrifice, focus. Jesus perfected these things. Jesus is God, but he came to earth to live as a human. And because of that, he understands our struggles. He experienced many of our struggles himself so he can empathize with us. And in spite of seeing all of our struggles and seeing all the ways we're so messed up, he still loves us and shows us grace generously. And he is so generous that he actually sacrificed himself on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can have a relationship with God. And he did all this because of his focus. The night before Jesus died, he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane and he said, Father, please take this cup away from me. He didn't wanna die. But because of his focus on his mission, he knew what he had to do to save us. So we, he went through and sacrificed himself on the cross. Plainfield Christian Church, I truly believe that if we show empathy, generosity, sacrifice, and focus, we can build a church that works for everyone. I'd like to close today by praying for you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for all the ways that you've blessed us. I thank you for your love. Thank you for your empathy, your generosity, your sacrifice, and your focus. And Lord, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to be the ultimate example of that. And Lord, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to live these things as well. Father, I thank you so much. I say all of this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. Oh, 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 oh,